ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It's really entertaining when the circus comes to town, right? Unless you're in it. That's Victoria Beckham, aka Posh Spice, speaking in the new Netflix docuseries on the astonishing career of our husband, David. Thing is, at least the Beckhams owned the circus. What if you just worked there? One Australian did just that. Andy Bernal was David Beckham's minder slash agent slash fixer when the star made his move from Manchester to Madrid. His story is something else. And today, he's giving us his insights. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Andy Bernal is a former footballer who played at club level for teams like Reading and Ipswich Town in the UK. He represented the Socceroos. These days, he's working with the Central Coast Mariners, but we're going to be talking to him about a brief time in his life where he was working for and with David Beckham in Madrid. And you played football at an elite level, but how does that lead you to managing David Beckham? It came about towards the end of my career at Reading FC. Um, so that led on to, to a meeting with a, a guy called Tony Stevens, uh, who was David Beckham's agent, Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen, the elite of the elite in the UK. We got talking. Uh, initially, um, he felt that I could be of value as a global scout for him. And in the process, he would teach me the management game. He was chasing an Australian player at the time, uh, Tim Cahill. And uh, he had all his agents out chasing this kid and, and he wouldn't sign for them. And uh, he said, can you get me Tim Cahill? And within 24 hours, I had Tim in the office. That's how I became an agent with SFX Sports Group. Like so many sports fans, I've been captivated by the Netflix series on David Beckham. But, you know, as many would appreciate, it's, it's kind of only one depiction. How would you describe David Beckham as a person? He's a fantastic guy. You know, we got on great. I was his right-hand man. I was his friend. I was his personal manager, uh, his go-to guy, um, his interpreter. Um, so, you know, we got on great. You know, I respected him highly as a, as a footballer uh, and, and um, as a friend. This was a time when anything he touched turned to gold. I remember saying, you would love to get in the bath, but you can't because every time you go to get in the bath, the bloody water parts and you just walk on straight through. The Madrid scenario went on to a lot more things. You know, the, the madness and insanity of, of that job was far beyond what any of us expected, you know, from being chased by paparazzi every day to, to having our phones hacked to people wanting stories about you every day, um, you know, and in the middle of that, trying to get him to incorporate, you know, into Real Madrid, the team of the century. I'd been on tours with United. This was a whole different level. I remember we arrived to this hotel and there were 10,000 people at 4 a.m. So that was happening because of it. He brought that kind of craziness. The enormity of the whole thing, you know, he was married to a Spice Girl. You know, they were football's version of, of, of Charles and Diana. A guy like that, global superstar, I'm sure everyone wants a piece of him. You know, if I was him, I'd be naturally wary of whoever's being introduced to my inner circle. How did you establish trust and rapport? We, we began the trust process through my football work. He did his homework on, on, on myself. You know, I had a few teammates at Reading that had played with him. You know, Manchester United through the youth ranks, you know, it all came back positive. Um, and then we just we just got on. He was a, a, the top echelon. Uh, you know, I wasn't the greatest socceroo, but I wasn't the worst socceroo. So, you know, you need to have some kind of runs on the board in some capacity, you know, when you're fronting and dealing and, and befriending and hanging around the likes of Zidane, Ronaldo, Nazario, Roberto Carlos, Figo, um, you know, all these guys, you know, they 
they need to trust you uh, as a person. And then once I was in that inner circle, it's your actions. I'm playing with all of these great players. They look like a fantasy league team. Am I going to be good enough? Take us inside the social side of that melting pot you're talking about. The biggest names in football history, you know, Ronaldo, Zidane, Figo. What's a night on the town like with footballing gods? Uh, it's everything you can imagine and more, you know. You want to put it all into a movie? It's Jerry Maguire. It's The Wolf of Wall Street. It's James Bond. The Netflix series, I think, was really good. I enjoyed it. You know, I think David and Victoria are in a really good space now. Parts of the, the, the Madrid thing were, were, were skimmed over. Um, it wasn't the, the greatest time, you know, personally for them, but it was, it was tough for all of us. Did I resent David? If I'm being totally honest, yes, I did. It was probably the most unhappy I have ever been in my entire life. But in between the, the dark days, there were some wonderful parties. And, you know, Ronaldo Nazario was not only one of the, the greatest footballers of all time, you know, he probably threw the greatest parties uh, of all time. And I was lucky to be there. I was really struck by the level of media attention that he received in Madrid in the series. Can you just paint us a picture of the level of scrutiny he was subject to, courtesy of the world's paparazzi? Oh, insanity. Every day to, to be followed by 50, 100, 200 cars, motorbikes, to have lenses pointed at the hotel and house that you're staying at all the time, uh, to not be able to go anywhere without being followed, to having police escorts. The day that, that David Beckham signed for Real Madrid is a day unmatched. He arrives in the city as if he were the President of the United States. To having um, SAS commandos with us all the time, ex-Cuban uh, spies, you know, Fidel Castro agents with us all the time, lead cars in front of the Beckham car, uh, security cars behind the Beckham car. It, it was insanity, you know, cars chasing you everywhere, motorbikes chasing you everywhere at high speeds. You know, you're a second or a mistake away from death. But the paparazzi, you know, that are following you as well, you know, we would listen to their chatter on, on say, as commando radios and, and they would try and cause chaos and disturbance. And then, you know, they wanted a crash to be able to take a photograph of. And they actually got a car crash to take a photo of, but it maybe wasn't the person they expected to take a photo of. Yeah, it was um, We. It was the day of Romeo Beckham's birthday. My role that day was to jump in, in, in the Porsche that David drove all the time. And I put on a, a blonde wig to kind of, through the tinted windows, appear to be David Beckham. And, and I had next to me uh, Victoria Beckham's sister, who looks kind of like Victoria. And, and through the tinted windows, it was hard to kind of make anything of it, but you could see the blonde wig. So um, I would go out first out of a, an underground car park at the private hotel we were staying at in Madrid. And, uh, you know, my job was to take away the, the 100, 200, 300, you know, paparazzi on motorbikes, uh, in cars, a helicopter waiting down the road. So my job was to lose them. And then the, the motorcade uh, with Beckham in it and, and the commandos and the, the Cuban agents uh, would go another way and we'd end up at the Hard Rock Cafe. But uh, um, I came out of the car park and then security had failed to to block the one-way street and, and paparazzi T-boned us, nearly killing us. Um, I was knocked out for, for a brief moment and, um, you know, I came to and, and was being pulled off from the car by SAS commandos into safety. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? You, as a sports fan, you think, how cool to be David Beckham's minder, but it came at a serious physical and psychological cost for you, didn't it? 
well, this went to like proportions that, that are just not normal. I never trained to be an SAS commander, to, to be a, an agent, to drive vehicles at, you know, 200 kilometres an hour, to be chased every day, to, to deal with possible kidnap threats from terrorist organisations on the children. Um, but, you know, years later, you know, all the stress and drama you know, take, takes its toll a little bit. I dealt with it in my own way. Um, you know, I ended up being addicted to crack cocaine, but very proud that I'm back out of it, mate, and, uh, and I'm here for a reason. Andy, I think it's really admirable and brave that you're able to talk about those challenges um, so openly and so honestly. And because it wasn't just the sort of attention that I guess the Beckhams were receiving, you were under serious scrutiny from these organisations as well. Tell us about when you learned or kind of figured out that your phone was being hacked. The real truth of that, probably five, six years ago when I received a, an email from detectives at Scotland Yard they told me that I'd, I'd been a victim of uh, Britain's, possibly the world's greatest phone hacking scandal that led to, to, to British newspapers, you know, being shut down. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, a tough period, you know. I thought at times I was going mad, you know, and, and you know, I'd, I'd look at my phone and I hadn't opened voicemails, but they were open. Um, you know, I'd have you know, texts that, that had disappeared. You get a life-saving email from Scotland Yard and it put everything into context and perspective and, and you know, I kind of realised I'm not going mad here. You know, these things really happened, you know, after going our separate way, ways with with, um, with Beckham and he, he went off with his wife's management company in Madrid. Um, you know, I was offered around $2 million uh, to divulge information on him, on his wife, on, on his family and... Um, I refuse to do that. It's not the kind of person I am. You know, I sleep well at night. I think what you're referring to there when you're talking about being offered millions of dollars to divulge information about David Beckham is something that he's addressed in the Netflix series, and that's the challenges the Beckham's marriage faced after the alleged affair with personal assistant Rebecca Luz. Um, you were obviously part of the team when that news broke. Can you just Give us an idea of what that moment was like for you and Team Beckham. Allegations of extramarital affairs have consumed acres of newsprint. This has been the story of the decade, hasn't it? It's, <laughs> it's been on the front page for, for 10 days straight. It's extraordinary. It wasn't great. You know, everybody that was associated with SFX at the time, you know, were, were tarred with the same brush. Rebecca Luce had gone off and, and, and sold a story that... She is yet, you know, and will never be able to prove is true. There was some horrible stories that were difficult to deal with. It was the first time that me and Victoria had been put under that kind of pressure. And it was the hardest period for us because it felt like the world was against us. Rebecca Luce also put stuff in the newspapers, you know, that apparently I did, that apparently I said, which is not true either. The problem with her came about, uh, and this is all I'll say, is if you allow someone in, and I told the SFX bosses in London, I said, don't let her near us, near David or near myself. Um, she's not trustworthy. They didn't listen. And what it then allows is if you allow proximity to someone, then you can go away and, 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 and tell a story. Because of the proximity, uh, people may think, well, that might have happened. It could have happened, but no one really knows. But if there is no proximity, if, if, if she was never allowed 
you know, within a metre of David Beckham, there's no story to tell. It's an astonishing story. Can you tell us about the final time you wrapped up your work with David Beckham and you sort of said your goodbyes and, and went your separate ways? Yeah, um, I believe I had some valuables. Of, I had jewellery. I had um, about a million dollars worth of, of, of watches in a safe, and, and I had the, the key to the, the safe. And, um, you know, Victoria's management company that had now taken over from SFX, you know, I had the key to their safe. You know, there was a lot of stuff in there, and uh, they were chasing me for 24 hours. I was going nuts. It was in my pocket, and uh, I was going to give it to, to David personally. After I spoke to his his mother, and then you know, she was lovely. She said, "Thank you for looking after my boy." I uh, then went up to David. He was sat with uh, some bloke from Nineteen Management who was going to be there, the new agents. He said, "Sit down. Do, do you want to join us for dinner?" I said, "No. Uh, you have dinner. You have dinner, mate. Um, here's, here's the key to the safe." Um, and we shook hands, and, and that was it. It was kind of a for two people that were very close. It was a I don't know if it was a sad ending. But it was kind of two people that, that wanted, you know, I believe, to, to keep working together and, and, and being together. And, uh, you know, none of us really had any control of, of that happening. Andy is a former Socceroo. Today's conversation is only part of his remarkable story, which you can read in full in his book, Riding Shotgun. Andy, thanks so much for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Daki. Appreciate it, mate. Headlines. Australia's one-day World Cup campaign is looking much healthier after Glenn Maxwell scored the fastest 100 in the history of the tournament to help the Aussies to an enormous win over the Dutch. His ton came off just 40 deliveries. Maxwell on strike. Ah, that could be it! It's full toss and it's been walloped over the backward square and Glenn Maxwell has scored the fastest 100 in World Cup history. Next up, it's a crucial clash with New Zealand. That's on Saturday. Catch it on the ABC Listen app. The Tour de France will finish in Nice, not Paris, next year. Logistical complications from the Olympics mean the race will skip the capital altogether. It'll be a final stage time trial by the coast that concludes the event. And in Nepal, Australia thumped South Africa by 19 goals in Cairns to end their two-game losing streak. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Declan Byrne. Thanks to Netflix for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.